listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. All right, well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to gather. There we go. Gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and if I haven't had the chance to meet you, hopefully we can meet today after the service. I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word with you this morning. I'm looking forward to continuing to worship with you. Uh, we are going to be celebrating baptisms today as well, uh, so excited to celebrate with uh, some of our sisters in Christ as they uh, take that step of obedience to be baptized into uh, the waters and raised up to new life, which we'll celebrate here in a few minutes after the preaching of God's word. Uh, but before we dive in, let's just go ahead and pray and ask God to, to bless our time in his word this morning. So would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning and we just want to give thanks. We want to rejoice in the fact that you've given us this day, that you have given us life and breath to be here this morning, to gather together as your people this morning. And so God, I pray that as we open up your word now, as we seek to receive it, that you would enliven our hearts and our minds. Help us to be attentive to what you want to speak to us today. God, I pray that we'd be attentive to your voice, attentive to your spirit, so that we might see our lives transformed to be more like Christ. God, let us not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed and by the renewing of our minds. So God, we pray that you renew our minds and our thinking this morning so that we might honor you and worship you and praise you and glorify you in everything that we think and everything that we say and everything that we do, both as individuals and as a community. So we ask you to work in this time now. Help us, God, to submit ourselves to your word, believing that it's for our good and ultimately for your glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the other day, uh, my son Isaac was invited over to a friend's house, and, uh, and so we were, he was excited to go. We, we hopped in the car, and we drove over to his buddy's house, and, and his friend was excited for him to show up. He was at the window and, and eager for him to arrive, kind of, oh man, I can't wait for him to get there, and, and Isaac was excited to, to be there too. But then this funny thing happened when we actually got to their house. We pull up into the driveway and we hop out of the car and the front door opens and, and he comes out and thinking, oh, he's going to come over and say, hey, or hey, what's up, or give a hug or laugh or do whatever. But he looked at us and then he turned and walked the other direction, didn't say hello, didn't acknowledge we were even there, went over to a tree and started to climb it. Now, it's kids, right? Kids do funny things. And just in case you're worried, I called his dad and asked if I could share that story about him. Uh, and he said, totally fine. You can even say his name, which I won't. But um, it made me think of something that I think we can do sometimes when it comes to community. I, I think we, maybe we don't act like that per se, but I, but I think sometimes we can, can relate to this in some way. We can be eager for community, be eager for relationships. We can look for community. We can be talking about community. We say, I, mean, I, I want to be in deep relationship with people, and I want to hang out with people, and I want to have fellowship with other people. But then when we actually get there, we act weird around one another, and we do weird things, and we don't always know, well, what am I supposed to do now that we're actually here face-to-face -face with one another? And, and maybe that's for a variety of reasons. Maybe for you, you've had experiences in community that have left you feeling guarded. 
that you've been hurt by someone or something, and so you find yourself kind of with some walls up, and I'm not sure if I can trust you. I'm going to keep you at, a, at an arm's distance, and so you find yourself not exactly sure how to navigate those waters. Or for some of you, maybe you just don't know what you're supposed to do when you get there. Like, I know this is a good thing. I believe community is important for my life. I believe that I need people in my life, but I'm not actually sure what I'm supposed to do, especially if those people you're in relationship with are in a different life stage than you are, have different backgrounds than you do, have different life experiences than you have. Well, today is our, our fourth Sunday in our discipling sermon series, and, and we've been talking about over the last few weeks uh, what it means for us to be a church of disciples who make disciples. To be followers of Jesus who are seeking to see our life look more and more like Christ and how we help other people to do the same thing, to follow Christ in their own life. And so to help us to know what to do that, we've been spending time preaching on just the means of grace that God has given to us so that we might grow as disciples. And we've had this graphic that we've been using to show us kind of these different means of grace that God's given to us. The gathering of the church, community groups, one to three small groups, and our own communion with God. And so we're going to continue to talk about that today. And really what this is is a picture of both the, the means of grace of the church, and it's the church gathered and the church scattered. As we come together on a Sunday morning to be here, but then as we go throughout the week, we continue to be God's people. We continue to be the church. Well, how are we to relate to one another? How are we to engage with one another? Last week, we asked the question, what's the role of community in our discipling? Why do we need each other to follow Jesus? And we looked at Romans 12, and we just trying to looked at this kind of tension that we have to manage in our lives of both our individual relationship with Jesus and the role of community. That Jesus saved you if you've placed your faith in him. It's your relationship with the living God, but he saves you into a community of people. And so we have to have both of those things at play as we seek to walk faithfully with Christ. So, listen, if you're going to be faithful to Jesus' calling to follow him and to help other people to follow him, if you're going to be faithful to his command in your life, then you must take ownership over your own discipleship and responsibility of the discipling of one another. Take ownership over your own discipleship and responsibility for the discipling of one another. And so today we're going to keep talking about the role of community and really specifically Look at the question of how do we disciple one another? How do we disciple one another? I think what the Holy Spirit gives us in these few verses, and, and we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 5. There's a little bit of mix-up with that this morning. So we, that was 1 Timothy 5, but we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning. And in these few verses, written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I think if we actually see this as a gift to us and we lean into this, if we want to see what God has to say to us in this, I believe that God could significantly transform not only our community as we seek to relate to one another, but actually transform your life as you seek to faithfully follow Jesus and help others to do the same. I'm looking forward to diving into this with you because I believe God wants to use it this morning, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me read these verses for us. Chapter, I mean, sorry, verse 14 through 22 of 1 Thessalonians 5. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica to us. He says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from evil, from every form of evil. As we dive into God's word, may he help us to be disciples who make disciples as we walk out of here today. The Apostle Paul's writing this letter, and he's writing it to the church of Thessalonica, these Thessalonian people who have been faithfully following Jesus, but they're struggling right now. And so he's writing this letter to them to encourage them and exhort them because they're experiencing persecution. They're experiencing oppression for the fact that they're trying to follow Jesus. They're trying to be faithful disciples. And it's manifesting itself in a lot of different ways as they're struggling in their following of Jesus. They're responding in different ways. And so Paul has been addressing that throughout this letter. But if we kind of look at the whole of this letter, the chief thing that he's trying to relate to them in this is that you have to keep striving to be faithful, but you have to do it together. Right before this text that I just read, he says in chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore... Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage one another, build one another up just as you are doing. What Paul's saying in chapter 5, verse 11, is he's kind of setting up what he's about to talk to is, hey, keep discipling one another. Keep helping each other follow Jesus. Encourage one another to stay faithful, to be who God's called you to be. It's in that context that he says what he does in these next few verses. Now, I originally... If you got the email that I send out every week or you looked on the blog, we were going to talk about verses 12 and 13. We don't have time for that this morning, and so I'm just going to jump straight into verse 14. Go back and read verses 12 and 13. I think they'll be encouraging to you as well as they are part of God's Word. But in verse 14, he gives some very specific directions on how to engage one another. Very specific directions. Look at verse 14 again. He says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. He gives these directives here. Admonish, encourage, and help. But to what end? So that people feel good about themselves? So they can feel puffed up? So they can do better, be better? No. What Paul is doing here, just these few short lines, is he's helping us to understand how are we to disciple one another? How are we to help one another follow Jesus? Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Let's just circle back to that because I don't want us to say that phrase and not really understand what we're talking about here. To follow Jesus is to set your gaze on Christ, that all of your hope and all of your faith is in Jesus for who he is and what he's done. You're seeking to see your life conformed to Christ, that the way you think and live, the way you worship, all of those things are falling in line with who Christ is and who God is, that you are being renewed and restored in the image of God that Christ holds and displays perfectly for us. It's a lifelong endeavor to follow Jesus, and it requires repentance and faith. That we would turn away from our sin, turn away from the things of this world, just like Eric talked about this morning. Those things we chase after for hope and life that aren't God, that we turn away from those things and continue to place our faith in Jesus. Continue to look to who he is and believe that he is the savior of the world, the king of our own life. And for each person who's pursuing Jesus and following Jesus, Paul seems to give us a picture of what that life looks like in those next few verses. 
15 through 22. Look at them again. It says, see that no one repays anyone evil, but always seeks to do good to one another. Like, if you're going to live a life of following Jesus, then seek to do good to one another. Love one another. That's what Christ did in his own life. Rejoice always. Have a deep joy in who God is and the reality that he knows you and that you can know him. That everything, when it's put in perspective to the greatness of who God is, that you can have joy in the midst of any and every circumstance, even the difficult ones. Pray without ceasing. Go and commune with the Father. We're going to talk about your own communion with God next week. But that you would pray continually. That it would be such a regular part of your life that you're in relationship with the living God. That you'd want to be talking to Him and being in relationship with Him. Singing His Word. Responding to Him. Answering back to Him as He speaks to you through His Word. So pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. That no matter what's going on, that you can praise God, that he's given you life and breath, that you're here this morning, that you have another moment, another day to praise him and make him known amongst the people that you find yourself in community and relationship with. He says, we want to know what the will of God is for your life. This is it. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you want to know what a life looks like to glorify Christ, to honor God, he's laying it out for you here. That, sometimes I think we get too Focus in on what's the will of God for this, what's the will of God for that. At the end of the day, he's saying, seek God. Look to him. Glorify him in your life. He will be praised. He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Don't quench the spirit. Don't allow the sin and the distraction of this world to put out the flame and the spirit in your life and abstain from every form of evil. Keep pursuing holiness. He's laying out for you a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. So the question for us, though, is... What does that have to do with verse 14? With what he tells us in verse 14, if we're going to help one another follow Jesus, if we're going to disciple one another. It highlights the fact that living a life in a broken world, living the life in the midst of a world that is preaching a different message of hope to you, a false gospel to you, a world that is seeking to distract you and crush you at different points in times, it is challenging and it can be wearying for us. And the reality is we need one another if we're going to continue to faithfully live out verses 15 through 22. You can't do this by yourself. You can't follow Jesus alone. But how Paul unpacks that for us is interesting because what he does here is he gives us three types of people and three separate approaches to helping them follow Jesus. Three types of people and three separate approaches to helping them follow Christ. Look at the first one here. He says the idol when he talks about idle, someone being idle, at the, at the basic level, to be idle is to, to not be moving. There's no movement in your life. But that could mean laziness. He could be addressing laziness. But it has more of the sense of, and if you have uh, the ESV, the Bible we preach from, you see your footnote at the bottom there. It says disorderly or undisciplined. So to be idle is to be disorderly or undisciplined. And if you think about that, a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. And Following Jesus necessitates movement in your life. That you're not just staying in one place. That God intends for your life to look different from the time you begin to believe throughout your life until Jesus calls you home or comes again. That there's a progressive transformation that's taking place in your life. So idleness can't just be, it, it's, it's kind of coming against this thought that I can trust in Christ for the forgiveness of my sin and then nothing needs to change about my life. That I've just gotten my ticket to heaven punched and I can just kind of keep going on doing whatever I was doing before. You know, following Jesus necessitates movement in your life. That you're pursuing Christ. That you're disciplining yourself 
for godliness, that you're using the means of grace that God's given to you to do that through his word and prayer, his spirit working in you, community, all of those things. Because some of the Thessalonians weren't doing this. They were waiting around for Jesus to come again. Kind of, He's going to be back soon. I can just hang. I believe I don't need to do anything else. Some of them were giving up because things were too hard in following Christ or the world was too tempting to them. And idleness can be disruptive to the community of God's people. Now, what does this look like in, in our context, in our life? We're not experiencing persecution at the level that the Thessalonians were or oppression, but we could still struggle with idleness. And idleness in our own lives can still be this idea of being undisciplined, that we're not actively pursuing Christ. We're not seeking to submit ourselves to the ways and will of God in our life. And so we become undisciplined in our life. And when we're undisciplined, sin is so easily, so easily deceives us to thinking that, well, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. I can just pursue the things that the world says are good for me to pursue. And so we become idle in the midst of that. And in idleness, it can kind of manifest itself in being a consumeristic Christian, a consumeristic follower of Jesus, where you're not actively leaning into following Christ. You're kind of wanting other people to do that for you. Looking to the community to meet all of your needs and entertain you so that you might keep following Jesus. Idle people tend to be grumblers and complainers. They grumble and complain about life. They grumble and complain about how other people have wronged them or disappointed them or let them down. Idle people tend to want to know God's will, but will do nothing to actually seek to pursue God's will as he lays out in these verses that we just read and last week, Romans 12, that we can know God's will as our mind is renewed and transformed to have the mind of Christ. Oftentimes, idle people are on the wide road that leads to destruction that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. And the reality is for an idle person, they either don't care or maybe don't realize that that's what's going on in their life. So this is serious. That's why Paul gives the instruction he does on how to help them follow Jesus. What does he say? He says that the idle need to be admonished. The idle need to be admonished. To to admonish someone is to warn them. To warn them. We have to understand, again, that sin is deceptive. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that we should, as long as it, every day, as long as it's called today, exhort one another so that our hearts might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the author of Hebrews is saying, look, we need each other because sin's going to deceive you. It's going to pull you off track. It's going to cause you to believe something that's not actually true. We need to be exhorted. We need to be, at times, admonished to keep following Christ. And so this word admonishment isn't a slap on the wrist for you. It's a loving, endearing term. It's a loving wake-up call that when we see a brother or sister in idleness, not pursuing Christ because we care about them, we jump in and we say, brother, sister, wake up. Wake up to the reality of the life you're, you're headed towards right now. It's on the path of destruction. See, in the midst of our idleness, it can be like us being on a train, and we're having a good time. We're in the food car in the train, right? And drinks are being passed around. We're having a good time. We're moving. Movement's happening in our life. But what we don't realize is that the train track we're on, that the bridge is out ahead. When we admonish the idol, we're saying, friend, the bridge is out ahead. Look out ahead. Don't keep going down this road. It doesn't end well for you. So we lovingly pull them back, admonishing them, reminding them, who God is and their need to walk in repentance and walk in faith, telling them, encouraging them that Jesus and his ways really are better than anything this world promises to you. 
The true life and true freedom and true joy are found in submitting to Jesus as king. Man, what a gift it is to have brothers and sisters that are willing to do that in our lives. That it, when we're struggling with idleness, that will come along and say, I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to put God's word back in front of you again, and I'm going to call you to repentance, to following Christ. And if you have people like that in your life, celebrate that. Give thanks for that. It is a gift from God to you. But not everyone who needs help following Jesus is struggling with idleness. So Paul says, we also need to address the faint-hearted. To be faint-hearted is to be discouraged. It's people who are weary from the difficulty of following Jesus. Following Jesus in a world that's set against him. And so for the Thessalonians, this was due to intense persecution. There were brothers and sisters that were feeling overwhelmed in their following of Christ, and they were unsure if they could continue moving forward. They want to move forward, but they're just not sure. Like They're just burdened by this. And in the midst of our feeling faint-hearted, it can lead to timidity in following Jesus, especially when people are coming at you or against you. So what does that look like in our own context? It could be very similar that we feel weighed down, we feel knocked around by the cultural barrage that's around us, this disparity of seeking to follow Jesus. And that can come from uh, people you know, your family or coworkers or friends or media. There's ridicule and disdain for, are you really serious about following Jesus? That sounds ridiculous. And if that keeps coming at you over and over and over again, you can feel faint-hearted in that. You can also feel faint-hearted or have this experience of faint-heartedness, of weariness from your own fight against temptation and sin. That as you keep trying to pursue holiness, you feel worn out and you're wondering, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it for me to pursue holiness? Is it really worth it for me to seek to glorify God in all of my life, in the entirety of who I am, my thoughts and my actions, my words and my deeds? Is it really worth it? So Paul tells the Thessalonians, he tells us that those who are faint-hearted, they don't need admonishment, they need encouragement. They need encouragement. They need encouragement not with kind of fluffy, empty words, pithy sayings, platitudes, like, hey, everything's going to be okay, just keep going on. No, no, they need encouragement, and encouragement really is this idea of being infused with courage, right? So if you're struggling with faint-heartedness and you need encouragement, you lack courage to keep going, and so you need brothers and sisters to come around you to give you courage so that you might keep pressing forward as you walk this fight in the midst of this wartime that we're in right now. See, what the faint-hearted people need is to be refreshed and reminded in the greatness of their God who will never leave you and never forsake you. To be reminded through God's word, put in front of them, read over them, encouraged of who they are in Christ. That you can keep fighting, you can keep pressing forward, and it is worth it. And one day, Christ will come again and he will make all things new. The faint-hearted need to be given a hope of future grace. That one day there'll be no more sin and there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more sadness. Friend, keep pressing on. Keep following Jesus. But it's not everyone who needs to be encouraged. Not everyone's faint-hearted. So Paul also mentions the weak. Someone who's weak is unable to move forward. And this could be because of physical struggles, mental struggles, spiritual weakness. See, we are both body and soul. We are psychosomatic beings. 
And sometimes our physical life affects our spiritual life, and sometimes our spiritual life affects our physical life. And sometimes it's difficult to figure out where those begin and end. We are both of those things as God has made us that way. And so there are Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, that were essentially physically and spiritually paralyzed, unable to move forward. What does this look like in the context of our lives? Well, it's very similar, again, to the Thessalonians. There are people in our community who have or will experience this kind of weakness. And it will manifest itself in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes overlapping physical, mental, and spiritually. What the faint-hearted person is unsure if they can or want to move forward. The weak person knows he is unable. She is unable to move forward. So what does Paul say for them? What do the weak need? They don't need admonishment. They don't need encouragement. They just need help. They need help. The weak person needs support. The weak person needs presence, the presence of God's people around them. Are you guys familiar with the story of the man in, it's a New Testament story where he is uh, paralyzed. He's not able to move. He's laying on his back and his friends find out that Jesus is in town. And like, man, we got to take our buddy to see Jesus. Like, I've heard Jesus is healing people, so let's go. And so his friends put their friend that can't walk on a mat, and they pick him up, and they carry him to the house that Jesus is in. And they arrive at this house, and it's overflowing with people. I mean, Jesus is in town. There's a crowd there. And so they're trying to get in the door, but you can imagine four men carrying a man can't make it through a door very easily. They don't go home. They don't say, well, we'll try again another day. Now they love their friend enough. They know that their weak friend needs help. And so what do they do? They climb up on the roof of someone else's house and they rip the roof open. Like, can you imagine like if you're sitting at home and you're having a dinner party and all of a sudden like stuff starts falling from the ceiling and there's four people looking down like, hey, hold on a second. We're lowering somebody down in the middle of your party. They're, they're lowering their friend to the feet of Jesus. They're bringing their friend there because the weak need help. And we have to do the same thing, that if we are going to help the weak, that we're willing to lower our friends to the feet of Jesus, to carry them to the feet of Christ. And that means, again, we're coming back to his word. We're coming back to saying, brother, sister, I'm here for you. I'm going to read God's word over you. I have faith even though you don't right now. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to sing over you. I'm going to read over you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. What we have to see in And all of these things, all three types of these people who are struggling to follow Jesus for various reasons is what we admonish with, what we encourage with, what we help with. It's not good methods or or good thoughts. No, it's the gloriousness of the gospel. That we come back and we seek to exalt Christ before our friends, no matter where they find themselves. That we come back and we say to the, to the person who's struggling right now, whose idol is, Jesus is Lord. Turn away from your sin and turn back to him. For the one who's struggling in faint-heartedness, we say, Jesus is faithful and he's going to see you through to the end. To the one who is, who is weak, we say, Jesus cares for you and one day he'll make everything sad come untrue. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. We exalt Christ and we paint a big picture of who God is. Not because he doesn't because we're, we're trying to puff him up or, or make him be something that he isn't. We look at God's word and we see that our God is transcendent and he's over all of creation. Yet at the very same time, he's imminent and he knows the details of our life and he's close with us. We give a big picture view of God and we continue to call people back to him. We have to be word-centered people if we're going to disciple one another. 
That everything that Christ has accomplished, dying on the cross for our sin and being raised again to new life so that we might have new life. We come back to it over and over and over again. So listen to me. If you find yourself this morning being in any of those places, if you're idle, if you're faint-hearted, if you're weak, or maybe you recognize this morning you've never actually had a faith in Jesus, that you've heard about Christ, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about who Jesus is, that hope is, for, is offered to you in Christ. That he is who he says he is. So look to him once again, the one who lived and died and rose again for you. And know that there's a community of people around you that want to help you follow Jesus, whether that's for the very first time or in an ongoing way. We never move on for our desperation for grace. We never move on from our need for Jesus to rule and reign over us. But Paul finishes his short exhortation about this idea of mutually discipling one another, helping one another by calling us to do something that's super significant. He says, what does he say? Be patient with them all. And this certainly includes this group of three people, but really has this sense of be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. Patience is paramount to your life with Jesus and in community. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. You can't actually be patient in a biblical way unless the Holy Spirit is helping you to be patient. But this idea, this word that Paul uses for patience isn't uh, in the sense of waiting on something. Like we need to be patient for something to change for us. This idea of being patient is relational and has the idea of long-suffering. When I'm patient with you, when he calls us to be patient with everyone, we're saying, I'm going I'm to suffer long with you. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to endure. I'm going to bear with. And it's not about putting up with another person. Like, will you really bother me? You really annoy me. But I'll just kind of hang out with you and, and fake laugh at your jokes. No, it's like, man, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. And I'm going to dive in with you. And I'm not going anywhere. We're in this together because I genuinely love you. When we are patient with everyone, we don't give up on one another. We don't give people a few tries to get things right in their life and then dismiss them and move along. We stick it out and stick with one another. If they're going to hang with us, even if it's a weak faith, we're saying, I'm with you, brother, I'm with you, sister. And we forgive over and over again. And we give grace over and over again as people are trying to follow Jesus. This is love. And it's a love that's modeled to us and given to us by God in and through Christ. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. The patience of the Lord that we can think seems like a long time, but he longs for us to turn again to him. As Peter talks about in his epistle, we want to be like God and loving and being patient towards one another. Now listen, that's only possible because of Christ. You can't do this apart from him and the empowerment of his spirit because it's hard. It's hard to be patient with people. It's hard to be patient with an idle person. It can be hard to be patient with a faint-hearted person. It can be hard to be patient with a weak person, but it is absolutely vital for the health of a community that we would endure with one another if we're going to be faithful to discipling one another. I mean, how would our church look if we actually lived this out with one another? We said, brother, sister, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. As long as you're willing to be here, I'm here, and I'm willing to engage with you, and I'm willing to keep pointing you to Jesus. Now, I think something that can help us to be patient with other people is actually having an accurate view of ourselves. See, what I don't want you to do this morning when you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to disciple some other people in my life, and I now I've got these categories, so I'm ready to go, and you're looking around like, who's idle? Who can I admonish today? I'm ready to go. 
You know, who, who's faint-hearted? Who can I encourage today? Who's weak? Who can I help today? And you're ready to go, and you're looking out, trying to find those people so you can go approach those people. I mean, can I just encourage you first to just look at yourself? Because my guess is there's times in your life more often than you're willing to admit that you're idle. And there's times in your life and you're more often than you're willing to admit that you're faint-hearted, you're weak, that you need encouragement, that you need help, that you need admonishment. So if you start there with an own accurate view of yourself and recognize that you've been all of those things and at times are probably all of those things, then you're going to have way more patience for the people around you who are struggling in the same way. We've been all of these people at different times and probably more often than we're willing to admit. Now, I know there are times in your life when you are clearly the discipler, where you're, you're saying to another brother or sister that just like Paul does, follow me as I follow Jesus, that you're kind of out in front and you're saying, I'm walking towards Jesus and I'm bringing you along with me. And there's times in your life where that's going to be an experience in relationship. There are other times in your life where you're clearly the one being discipled. That right now you're trying to figure things out. There's a lot going on and you're like, man, I, I don't have a lot. I'm just trying to stay close to this other person who's seeking to follow Jesus so I can also follow him. But most often what happens in our life and most often what we see in scripture is this idea of mutual discipleship. That we, as we talked about last, last week, are both simultaneously needy and needed. That we need God's people in our life and they need us in their lives. We are both of these things at the same time, which means we can both help each other follow Christ. And it's when you humbly recognize your, on, your own ongoing need for help in following Jesus that you'll be much more patient with the other people around you who need help as well. To be faithful to what Paul calls us to in verses 15 through 22. See, in just this one verse, in verse 14, Paul is laying out a roadmap for us to help each other follow Jesus, to know how we can engage with one another in a helpful way in different times and different seasons with different approaches so that we might all continue to walk that narrow road that leads to life, to following Christ. Friends, you have to understand that you never move on from needing one another. You never move on from needing community and needing relationship. But here's the deal. It takes a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom to know who it is that you're talking to. It takes the guidance of the Spirit to know who you're talking to and how you should help them follow Jesus. We don't wear signs that say idle on our head or faint-hearted or weak. And I think, sure, that'd be easy, but we didn't come with LED screens when we were born. <laughs> no, we came with a heart and a mind, and we're supposed to be in relationship with one another. So here's the deal. In order for us to be faithful to do this, at some level we could do this with our whole community, but if you really want to be able to admonish correctly and encourage correctly, and help correctly, knowing who that person is and what's going on, you can only do that with a few people. And we really believe that at the end of the day, it's the life of a church, if we're going to be faithful to being disciples, we have to have a deep relationship with one to three people, because you really can't do that beyond that kind of context, that kind of relationship. Because you have to really know, and you have to really love someone, and that takes time, and that takes effort and that takes energy for you to get close to someone in that way to know them at that level and you just can't do that with everybody and that's okay it's okay so how are we actually going to do this as a church how are we going to live this out in the life of our own community well it's in this context of one to three people that you'd have one to three brothers or sisters in your life that you're seeking to live these things out with to help each other follow Jesus to know when you need to admonish or encourage or help the first thing we can do with that is just pursue and at a very practical level, 
we would encourage you to think about your, your, the context of your community group to look for those relationships in your community group because you're, you're already in some regular rhythm with those people in your life. And thinking, okay, I can't do this with everybody here, but who are one to two men or women that I can engage with intentionally in this way? Now listen, it doesn't have to be your community group. That's not a requirement. I just want you to have these kinds of relationships. So if it's someone else that's not in your community group, fine. But just be willing to pursue these level and this kind of relationship with one another. But in our pursuit, we have to be thinking about this. In order for this to happen in our church, we can't simply wait to be known and be loved. I mean, that's, we want to be known fully. We want to be loved completely. So sometimes we can have this idea, this posture of like, know me, love me. And we're just kind of sitting there, we're waiting for people to do that in our life. And then we get frustrated when they don't. But there's nowhere in the New Testament where God calls you to be passive in your pursuit of community. Again, calling you to take ownership over that in your own life that you would faithfully follow Christ. And so what that means is we have to be willing and wanting to know others. Willing and wanting to love others. And in the midst of that, being willing and wanting to make ourselves known to others. Listen, I know sometimes in community, and especially this level of relationship, we could just be like Isaac and his buddy. We kind of get there, and we don't know what to do. But you can come, and you can say, man, I'm trying, friend. I, I want to do this. I don't get it right all the time. And so we're gracious, and we're patient with one another. Maybe you're a great question asker, and man, you just crush it with asking, asking questions of other people, and that other person doesn't ask you very many questions. But if you're sitting with them, and you're in that close relationship, and you have a quid pro quo kind of mentality, then you're going to ask a good question and you're going to sit there. They didn't ask me anything. They don't care. They don't love me. Maybe they don't know how to ask good questions. Maybe right now in their life, they're not able to ask those kinds of questions. That doesn't mean that you can't offer your life to them, that you can't share what's going on in your life with them. Say, brother, sister, thank you for sharing that with me. Can I share something with you? I'm feeling, I'm struggling with idleness right now. I'm struggling with faint-heartedness right now. I'm struggling with weakness right now. And sometimes you have to be the first mover. And at the end of the day, that person is not Jesus. As you pursue one another, ultimately we have to be pursuing Christ, looking to him, pointing one another to him. Are you willing to be a pursuer of people, not simply be pursued by people? Are you willing to be a pursuer of people? Remember, take ownership and responsibility and when someone actually speaks into your life, I just want to encourage you to listen. That's another thing sometimes I think that can happen in the midst of our life is that we can, we can come to these relationships and someone actually offers us a word of encouragement or help and we're like, ah, I'm not, not so much. I'm not interested in that. Be willing to listen, even in the imperfection of what it is that might be going on. Oftentimes these kind of relationships take time, so be patient. And let me encourage you to do this. As you pursue these kind of relationships, as you say, okay, I want to pursue a brother or sister. I want to engage them in this way. Be okay with them saying no. Being okay with someone saying, man, I, I, I see what you're wanting to do, and I don't have time right now. I can't do that right now. And you can judge them for that, or you could say, man, that's the Holy Spirit just directing me somewhere different. Paul wanted to go to Macedonia. Thought that's where he, I mean, sorry, wanted to go to Spain, thought that's where he needed to take the gospel, and the Spirit shut it down and said, no, you're not going to Spain, I want you to go to Macedonia. Sometimes God redirects our paths. So be okay with someone saying no to you. Make it a point to say, okay, God, there must be someone else that you want me to connect with and engage with in this way. So let me encourage you to ask God, God, who do you want me to do this with? Who do you want me to pursue, and how can I do this? 
How am I supposed to do that with this particular person? And friends, in the midst of your pursuit, it's going to be messy. People are going to disappoint you. People are going to let you down. People are going to have expectations of you that aren't reasonable, and you're going to have expectations of them that aren't as well. But man, this is community. This is life together. It's not done in a vacuum. We have to be willing to work those things out and say, hey, brother, sister, it, it bothered me when you said this. It bothered me when you did this and continue to, to work this out with one another. Second thing, believe you have something to offer them. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know Jesus. I love the story of the blind man when he's healed and the Pharisees are coming at him like, who did this, who did this, who did this, who did this? He's like, guys, I don't know. Listen, all I know is once I was blind and now I can see. And that guy did it. That's the true of our own life too. If you know who Christ is and what he's done, then you have what you need to point people to Jesus. And then you run to his word and you're dependent on his spirit. Believe you have something to offer another brother or sister in Christ. Remember, you aren't pointing people to you. So they're impressed with you. No, you're pointing people to Jesus, so they're impressed with Jesus and in awe of him. So we can do that. You, it doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual journey in following Christ. And listen, I would argue, even if you're in a place of faint-heartedness, even if you're in a place of weakness, if you're going through suffering right now, if you're struggling right now in your own life, you still have something to offer other people. You can still point other people to Christ because I would guess that you know more than anyone else that his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in weakness. Mark Dever in the book Discipling that we've been reading says this, and I think this is so true. I've seen this in my own life. He says, our examples of enduring hardship are often more powerful than the stories of our success and triumph. That when people actually see that following Jesus is hard, and they see you working it out and living it out, that even when you fail and even when you falter, that oftentimes that's what people are going to be the most encouraged with, that you continue to pursue Christ. So believe that you have something to offer. Third, make space and count the cost. Make space and count the cost. We have to understand that to have these kind of relationships, to know someone enough and love someone enough, to know when to admonish and encourage and help them, it's going to take space in your life. And so that means you're going to have to say no to other things. And that's hard. It's easy to say, hard to do, because we all have work, and we have family, and we have other commitments. But we have to get something here, that this is a long-term investment that requires short-term sacrifices. It requires you orchestrating your life in such a way that you actually have time to be able to pursue these things, and that can be difficult. That's where community can help you figure some of those things out as well. So make space and count the cost. If you only focus on the short-term gains, and you aren't willing to persevere through people lacking grace towards you or, or being impatient or you being ungracious or impatient towards others, just the challenges that come up with pursuing these kinds of relationships, I don't think you're actually going to be able to experience them. It's going to be difficult to, difficult to see the fruit of those deep Christ-centered relationships in your life if you're quick to dismiss and move on. Now, just briefly, I, I want to speak to, to married people in the room this morning, and even those that are dating or engaged, if you're in a relationship heading towards marriage, just for, for a minute, and if you have kids as well, that at, the, at a basic level, at the, maybe even a primary level, your own family discipleship, your encouragement at this level should be done in the context with your wife or your husband or your kids. Like, do you know them in this way? Do you love them in this way? Are you pointing them towards Christ in this way? So I don't want you to hear this and be like, okay, I should ditch my family and go do all these things over here with all these other people. Start in your home. Are you, are you discipling one another within the context of your home? 
Let's even just say if you just have roommates, are you doing it with those brothers or sisters that you live with? The people that God puts around you all the time. So that being said, though, I want to encourage you, husbands, listen to me. Give your wife space and time to pursue these kinds of relationships. Give your wife space and time to pursue these kinds of relationships. So what that means for you is if you don't know how to do this already, learn how to feed your kids dinner. And, and learn how to put them to bed. If you don't know how to do that already, just, just think about it. That's a way that you can love and serve your wife to say, I want you to pursue these kinds of relationships, and so I'm going to do this for you because I'm a dad. Because I'm your husband. And Jesus calls me to love you like Christ loves the church, to lay down my life for you so that you might mature more and more into Christ. Husbands, give your wife space and time to pursue these relationships. And listen to me. Hang, hang with me. Do not make her feel guilty for doing that. Don't speak out of both sides of your mouth. Don't say, babe, I want you to pursue these kinds of relationships. I want you to have women in your life. And then she goes and does that. And then she comes home and you're like, man, this was rough. I had to do all this stuff at the house while you were gone. Don't, don't make her feel guilty for pursuing these kinds of relationships. Don't pat yourself on the back for giving her space and time. You're just being a dad. You're just being a husband and what God's called you to already. And serve her for the joy and the sake of her soul. Now, wives, you can do the same thing for your husband. Men struggle to have these kinds of relationships. So give him space and time and encouragement to actually go and pursue these kinds of relationships. Hold him accountable to it. Help him to understand his need to do this and say, I, I, you, you need to, and I'm going to hold you accountable to actually doing this. I, I heard it preached on Sunday. What's this look like in your life? Give him space and time and accountability to do that. And that requires sacrifice for you in your life and in your family, but it will be worth it for you. It's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. And I've seen this in my own life. That is, I've tried to do this in our family, and my wife has allowed me to go do things like go spend time with some of my friends in college every year to build into each other, to encourage one another. It's a sacrifice for her, but it's good for our family. It's good for me as I seek to keep following Jesus. Now, if you're a single parent, or you're struggling right now with things like childcare, and you're like, well, I'd love to go do that, but I, don't, I, I can't. I can't get out of my house. Listen to me. Let somebody know that. In church, be willing. Be willing to say, Brother, sister, I'll come to you. If somebody's homebound right now, they can't actually get out of their house because of physical ailment or suffering, say, I'm coming to you. We will show up at your door because we believe at this level of relationship with one another. Make space. Count the cost. Be willing to figure out what it looks like for your life. And lastly, just keep looking to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we have to keep focusing on Christ in this. We have to keep pointing one another to Christ. We want to be a community that's only explainable because of the gospel, which means we have to keep resting in the gospel and focusing on the gospel and resting in who God is. We've been brought together by the blood of Jesus, and we will stay together by the blood of Jesus, looking to him over and over again. So fix your eyes on him. Discipling happens when we are focused on Christ and pursuing him together in relationship knowing that God is at work. Look at verses 22, I'm sorry, 23 and 24. Paul, Paul writes there, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May he make you like Jesus fully. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 
our God will surely do it, and he will use you to bring it to fruition. To respond to the preaching of God's word this morning, and we're going to come, we're going to take communion, and we're going to celebrate the richness of God's grace towards us in Christ, and then we're going to celebrate baptisms together. And the taking of communion is a physical expression of that spiritual reality, that real and lasting life is found in Jesus and him alone. And so as you eat the bread this morning, a picture of Jesus' body broken for you, as you drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for you, celebrate that this morning. Be amped up, be refreshed in the grace and presence of Christ who will never leave you and never forsake you and who has given you these brothers and sisters to help you and you help them continue to follow Jesus until he calls you home or comes again. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion, but just hang in your seat. Think about what's been said this morning. Do you actually know Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? And if you don't yet, make today the day that you begin that. Take Christ in this moment. Repent and believe the gospel today. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for just our time and your word this morning. God, I pray, I pray that you would help us to be these kinds of people, that we would pursue one another in love. God, give us wisdom on how to do that. Help us to navigate the messiness of that, that sometimes we're not going to get it right. I don't get it right all the time. I know my brothers and sisters don't get it right all the time, but God, help us to be patient and gracious and willing to say, you hurt my feelings here, this happened here, but I want to stick it out with you. I want you to help me follow Jesus, and I want to help you too. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would knit that kind of community together, that we'd be faithful towards that end, but we need your help. So God, help us. Help us. May we be pursuers of one another. May we seek to make much of you. May we be faithful to following you to the end. We rejoice in your grace we, in the praise of your name. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.